Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit bookshare.org today. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards. And um, in due course, my my, uh, co-host, Brian Charlson, will be here. He's having some technical issues that we will sort out pretty soon. And our our uh, regular group is with us. I'm happy to say so. Rick Morin is uh, handling hand raising, and Larry Gassman is in charge of streaming. So welcome to both of you. And again, uh, we we have someone riding um, shotgun on um, webinar, and that's Marianne Grignon. And we're glad to have you with us, Marianne. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So tonight is is a topic that um, some people have expressed real interest in, and some people have expressed real concern about. And in in beginning the discussion of um, ACB's role in um, politics, I want to start by saying. Uh, what I'm sure my co-host will agree with, that it is not our intention to take a political position, nor is it our intention to suggest that ACB take a political decision. We clearly recognize the fact that um, ACB as a nonprofit organization is uh, operating as a 501c3 entity under federal law, and therefore cannot engage in political campaigns. It isn't our intention to do that. We are essentially taking the role of observers of uh, an organization. That is, we are, we are uh, ourselves looking at the American Council of the Blind and asking a series of questions about it, not in an effort to encourage it to take positions, but rather in an effort to understand how those positions might emerge, what those positions might be, um, and how perhaps we ought to consider the political diversity of our organization as part of the construct that makes ACB what it is. So, that, th- those are sort of my caveats at the beginning. Brian, do you want to add some of your own? Assuming that I can be heard now. Yes, much better. Thank you very much. So my number one goal, again, I missed maybe the beginning of your presentation as I was trying to get in, but um, the goal was not to spend a great deal of time describing um strongly held points of view uh, and what is the right view in any of them, but rather to talk about how we can embrace 
what makes ACB one of the most amazing organizations I've ever heard of in terms of the value we give differing opinions and how we find a way to work together in spite of our differences. And I think to some degree, because of our differences, we've had to learn uh, to work together. So the, the number one word I'd like to take out of this evening's discussion is civil. How to be civil when you find yourself dramatically disagreeing with people on a variety of topics and you can still come away knowing that what we are is the ACB family. So that's an important part of this evening to me. This is not, you know, uh, let's find out which is the right way to anything in particular. So as we invite you, the listeners this evening, to participate, please keep in mind, this is not a place to campaign for a particular political ideology. It is not a place to campaign against a particular political ideology. It's the place to talk about how we can promote the idea that we can work together without entirely agreeing with one another on every topic there is to discuss. So one with, of the in, interesting with, elements that we talked about, sorry, Brian, I'll, I'll, no, I, I didn't no, mean ahead. to interrupt you, but one of the interesting elements that we talked about, we we're thinking about this program is the, the, the makeup of the American Council of the Blind. And, and we decided that uh, there, there may be at least as many Southerners as there are Northerners in the organization. Um, we decided that the southern part of the United States uh, and the midwestern part of the United States, which are both areas of strength for ACB, um, tend to have um, um, fairly conservative state governments at the moment. <clears throat> we also talked about the fact that there are at least as many women as there are men involved in the American Council of the Blind now. Uh, we also talked about um, increasing roles um, for minorities within ACB and a recognition um, that the views of those minorities not only are important, but ACB as an organization has recognized by resolutions both last year and this year that uh, it, it is a core value of ACB that the needs and concerns of those folks uh, need to be taken into consideration. This year, we elected to the board of directors um, the first member of that board who was an openly gay person. And last year, we elected to the board of publications um, two folks um, who, who are clearly representatives of minority groups within um, this country. So one of the things that that we noticed in terms of beginning to put this program together is ACB is a diverse organization with a range of views, um, many of which um, are contradictory. And we've also noticed that one of the things that 
can sometimes occur on email lists, to take one example of where they can occur, is that um, individuals um, tend to find themselves taking um, differing points of view. And at what point um, ought the organization to be concerned about those? Um, so those are some of the issues that I think we, we we're operating with. And Brian, I interrupted you. Is there another thing you wanted to add? Well, I think that so much of any discussion along these lines has to do with the, the definitions you give things. Uh, so, for example, um, women are not technically a minority. They are a majority. They there are. are more men than women on this planet than there are men. But they've been treated in similar fashions over centuries, if not eons, whatever, um, as if they were a minority. And so when you say, what's a minority group, keep that in mind. Uh, I've read some stats this week about the changing nature of the United States, demographically speaking. And within the next 20 years, it's expected that Anglo-Saxon, if you will, white people will be 47% of our country. 47%. So what under those circumstances is the majority? Uh, and what, things, and what is the largest minority group in the country, Mr. Bryan? What do you think? I don't know. Uh, uh, people with disabilities. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Because no, again, it's in the definition, isn't it? Sure. It's in the definition. So I wanted to, to throw out two words to help us talk about this a little bit, because I think it's two words that we hear in the media con constantly, and that we might identify ourselves with in some fashion. And that's the term liberal and conservative. You mentioned that early on in, in your speaking. Yes. Um, so, you know, I used to talk about something called the litmus test for conservative versus liberal. Mm -hmm. And in my world, that had to do with um, abortion and guns and death penalty. And so those are three. Let's see, what was the other one? Um, finance of the military would have been a fourth one. Do you, can you think of any others that were kind of, if you were one way? Well, I, I think... I think the the importance of the federal government as compared to state governments would be another yes. area of difference. State, yes, national national versus local. Yeah, uh, I say versus, and I want to try to stay away from versus, uh, if at all possible, in our discussion. The fact of the matter is that in any of those subjects, there's a continuum or. Um, What's the word these days? Uh, a spectrum of opinions. You know, I may feel strongly that in case of mass murder, there ought to be a death penalty. But I probably wouldn't say that all murders should result in a death penalty. So there's a lot of sliding on a scale for those kind of topics. What I found interesting, I did some because 
we were doing this, I did a lot of online research and listening to pundits on the subject of this, that, and the other thing, and the polarization of our country when it comes to politics in general. And I found some very interesting numbers. Did you know that with 69% accuracy, a person can anticipate that you will be a conservative person if your parents were, or a liberal person if your parents were. 69% of the time, that's true. I'm not sure I know what my parents were, so. Yeah, and and mine were apolitical altogether. I mean, they were spending their time, you know, working three jobs. So there wasn't a lot of talking to politics around the table. But remember, mine were too busy drinking. So So it's only 69. So that means 31% could go opposite of that. Number two, yeah. yeah, another one that's interesting is that if you identify as somebody in rural America, United States, as opposed to urban, they can improve that number to 71% of the time. I'm surprised it's not higher. 71%. Now, keep in mind that when we're talking about uh, elections and stuff and uh, how much of the country, if you looked at the map from the 2020 election and you painted all the counties that voted for Trump as red and those for Biden as blue, the country was dominated by red. When you look at it that way, Um, when you look at it, because the blue parts were mostly urban areas, higher density, more votes, it's a different way of looking at the same numbers. So, unless seventy-one percent, another one that was. But the net result of the twenty twenty yeah. election, just just to just yeah. to clarify the point, and make sure it's clear, was that there were significantly more votes um, for Biden during the twenty twenty presidential elections, but immensely larger areas of the country exactly. uh, were voting for Trump. Yes, it, it was a geography versus uh, population density. Population yep. density, exactly. Yep. Now, one other thing that I found fascinating in this research was that there's been neuro, I think I'm using the right word, neuroscience, studies of the brain. And it turns out that with 81% accuracy based on the size of your amygdala versus another part of the brain. They can tell whether or not you're conservative or liberal. So to some degree, it's that. Uh, And lastly, apparently, uh, because that was just like like we were talking about a moment ago, the geography versus the, the numbers. There's also what the brain does in terms of its biology versus uh, when you get popped into an MRI machine and they check your brain activity. And that is even greater 
in terms of its accuracy uh, by what part of your brain lights up when certain things are discussed with you while you're in the MRI machine. So I find it fascinating that it's not all what I think we as adults frequently come to is we think that we we came to an understanding or a belief set, but it is still that lovely nature versus nurture discussion. What was your life experience? I'm going to say one more life experience thing from me, and then I'm going to shut up and and uh, let's talk uh, about some other terms we might use. When I was about eight years old, my father's sister was murdered the gentleman if i can use that term the man who did it was immediately caught and was incarcerated and was set to experience the death penalty but it got changed between when he was convicted and when uh, the state law changed so he later was released after something like 40 years in prison, something along those lines. So as you can imagine, I grew up as a believer in the death penalty. Then as an adult here in Massachusetts, back some 15 years ago or so, uh, there was a play in town called The Exonerated. And it was a play written around the idea that people who have been convicted and sentenced to the death penalty, who later were released because they were found to be innocent. Now, that's an interesting play, and that in and of itself may have had an impact on my opinion. But what really had an impact on my opinion, as it turned out, a friend of mine was involved in that play and had me and my family over for dinner with five people. Five people who were represented in the play, but I had dinner with five people who were sentenced to the death penalty, but were later found to be innocent. And I could no longer support the death penalty after breaking bread with those people. So I've always said, I have no opinion, not one, that I'm not willing to change based on new evidence. And to some degree, life experience is evidence. I it didn't is. mean to get so so fancy in this stuff <laughs> to begin with, but I want people to know that we're one of the reasons we in Tuesday Topics are bringing up the subject of politics and ACB. Uh, we're really not talking partisan politics. We're talking about diversity of opinion and how we can get along with one another and still honor that diversity of opinion. Have you changed your mind dramatically, Paul, about something? Something um, that fundamental? I don't I don't think so. I've 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 always um opposed the death penalty and continue to do that. Um I I suppose um that that there are loads of people on on the conservative side who regard me as a kind of a dyed-in-the-war wool liberal. And yet, on the other hand, um, I remember um, speaking to 
a state representative here in Florida who said that, that I constituted a person as a blind person who had a history that, that would absolutely qualify me as the perfect uh, Republican because I received my first Social Security check when I was 67 when I retired. And I, I worked my whole life at different jobs and um, and didn't didn't for the most part um, ask folks to provide me with any support except that which I could earn myself. And you know those are those are characteristics that perhaps aren't typical of the characteristics of other folks with disabilities and in his opinion anyway. Yep, I gotcha. I gotcha. So, so let's let's start to open things up a little and at least yes. let some other people talk instead of us. So Amen. Let's see let's see um over the next few minutes and I know there are a few hands raised already. Um, let's see in the next few minutes what what people have to say about what we've said so far and and perhaps can tell us whether they think we are barking uh at imaginary trees or up trees that really exist. So, Mr. Rick, do we have some ads? Yeah, we sure do. We've got a Nisio first, please. Mr. Correa. Wow. <laughs> I, I tell you, Paul and Brian, this must be a really, really interesting and captivating project uh, uh, discussion for me because my team, the Mets, are playing the Yankees, the first Subway Series of the year. And I'm missing that. <laughs> now that puts it all in perspective. It does. It does. So I won't be. I I can't promise I'll be here for the two hours, but at least I, I'm glad Rick gave me the the first chance. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's it's very interesting to me as someone who grew up in a different country, in Portugal, uh, with a different type of government. And uh, moving here, uh, and I moved here really around right after the Watergate, because I moved mm -hmm. here in '74. And um, and one of the things that's always been uh, inter interesting, but not in a in a very positive uh, way for me, is this um, uh, this in this. Uh, um, fascination in this country with a two-party system. I cannot understand it. Um, I never have, because to me, it doesn't give you enough choice. You know, in terms of of, of uh, political opinions, etc. I find, I find myself, I find more diversity from a political point of view within the Democratic Party than I find in the whole country. Right. I mean, when when Brian mentioned the two words, conservative and liberal. Those are so subjective when it comes to this country that if you compare the United States to any country in Western, <clears throat> Western Europe, for example, the, 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 within the Democratic Party, you have very conservative people that are very close to some of the social democrats uh, in in Europe, for example, and then you go all the way to the left, obviously where you have more of a social uh, socialist or, or or whatever. You know what I mean? So it it's it's been very difficult for me to to try to put my arms around it. But 
that's not here or there. But the other, the other thing that I think is um, has been very difficult for me working in the nonprofit sector, which you know again it's not very different than you know right. dealing within ACB, is the the fact that you have to you know you typically have board boards of directors that are very conservative, and on which you depend upon for fundraising, etc. Right, so you have to be very careful not to offend anyone. Um, so uh, I, I'm saying that because that that's really the way I try to to I try to deal with folks at ACB, and I I've I've gotten into trouble already a couple of times in the listserv uh, without even realizing that I was doing it um, by coming across apparently too um, too uh, too liberal. "Quote unquote." Um, so I don't know exactly, uh, you know, um, if, if I'm saying anything that makes sense. But it, it, um, the, the. Um, so, as somebody in ESIO yeah. who has worked in the blindness field for as long as you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and who has worked in a variety of states. I mean, your, your last job was in Georgia. Before that, you were in Maine. Mm-hmm. So, yep. But my my question is, one of the factors that that we're trying to look at is whether there is a difference between the way that conservatives view serving people who are blind and the way that that liberals might and the kind of legislation that they that 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 they might be interested in do you see much difference between the way that conservatives and liberals perceive blindness as you see it absolutely or don't see it absolutely <laughs> i have no doubt uh, i mean be, the, the because the way they see, I think, blindness is the same way. I think they look at quote welfare, the, the welfare welfare system, right? So, it, if you need a hand or you need a spe, a special uh, modifications or you need, I I think you are a lot more likely to 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 get re, uh, better reception or receptivity from from a liberal than you do from a conservative. That's this. I, I believe that. I'm, Interesting. Uh, and <clears throat> Interesting. I, you know, and and yet, and yet, uh, if if you look at the history of giving in the blindness system, um, the Lions Club has probably over the years given more money than any other group as 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 a group um, to blindness causes. And I, and I think I would regard them as middle class and somewhat conservative. And the board's and the boards of directors of virtually all agencies for the blind are conservative, but they do fundraising for blind people, essentially. Right. But they also, I, I would think, and I, I have been very involved with the Lions myself, uh, they, they, they do that also, I think, in many cases, believing that that's not the role of the government. <laughs> <laughs> so... So they can deal with private philanthropy, but don't regard it as as the same as spending government money on on systems. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, and I don't know if that's because it makes them feel good. I mean, I'm sure it is. It yep. Them, you know. Anisio, thank you so much, sir. Well, I give I give you and Brian a lot of credit for taking this on. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs>
Thank you. And, and staying out of trouble. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a different issue. <laughs> Mr. Oh. Rick. No, no, no fun to stay out of trouble, though. Tim, <laughs> Tim Cummings, please, Mr. Tim. Okay, Tim. Tim, you need to unmute yourself, my friend. There we go. Yeah. Hey, okay. Hey. Hey, Tim. Interesting. All right. <clears throat> this is interesting discussion. Um, another kind of category that you that you didn't mention, Paul and Brian, or I guess another division that I would say. We have North and South, we have Liberal and Conservative, and we have in ACB, um, just from my observations, we have, I would say, quite a sizable amount of what I would refer to as either uh, evangelical Christians. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's another kind of part of the pie to slice up. Um, so, and I think this question is interesting about um how does how do we all when it comes down to issues of blindness um and what we should do as an organization how do our political views affect what type of things that we would or would not you know endorse and yep. on the national level right and and i don't i don't have an answer to that um but i think um you know, I think ACB is uh, people forget that blind people are just like, other than the fact that we're all blind, we, we there's much as much diversity. Yeah, yeah we're a microcosm of the uh, rest, rest of society. The rest of well. society. Yeah. 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 So, yep. so, so, Tim, what, what do evangelical Christians think about blindness as compared to other groups, do you think? I think it depends on the evangelical Christian. Um, there are, I mean, there are some evangelicals that would be more politically conservative, uh, and I think there are some evangelicals that <clears throat> would be uh, more politically liberal. So I, I think, but I think that would, um, you know. They're I, certainly perceived as being more on the right than on the left. As, I, I think that's true. Christians I think are. that's true. The, although there are there are some, uh, you know, liberal evangelicals as well. So sure. people like Jim Wallace and and yeah. Um, um, so I don't know, and I don't know in terms of of ACB policy. You know, I remember. I mean, I guess I guess the the, the last um, and I. I really wasn't involved as much at ACB National then, but you were. I mean, mm -hmm. the last kind of big controversy that we probably had within the organization was the forming of, Not of even now, it's now it's called uh, what's known as BPI. Yep. Um, and that was, uh, some people thought that that would, you know, rip ACB apart. Yeah, well... I, I was certainly consigned to the netherworlds at the time, and I think Brian was as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, with the other the other part of that, though, we also had a resolution um, uh, brought by a member dealing with us uh, and the prayer to open up each day's yep. convention. Right. Um, and and I would say that that was rather. Uh, heated 
in some parlance. So yeah, that is. And in general, religion driven by or um, codified by religious works such as the Quran sure. and the Bible sure. yeah. speak of blindness in pretty amazing ways, right. which make a, a great deal of conflict in the whole, whole business. I remember when I first in my local church um, did something, uh, you know, led the prayer or something like that, the minister was all just totally overwhelmed by the experience of this blind man doing this. Uh, and I, quite honestly, thought, uh, you know, what, did, what does that got to do with it? But blind people in religion tend to be either uh, given great uh, mystical powers as a result of their blindness, or right. it's a punishment. It's, it seems to be one extreme or the other. So it's very difficult <clears throat> not to have a religious aspect to this condition called blindness. And, and if we explore ACB's involvement with religion in, in you know, in, in the past, ACB has, for the most part, steered clear. But one of the things that has emerged, and this is not a criticism, it's merely a descriptor, is there are a number of um, religious programs now on community um, which which is intriguing because uh, it it's not something that that was as much a part of ACB in the past as it is now I think except that at the convention we've and as far back as I can remember provided opportunities uh, to participate in religious services from a variety of different Catholics Mormons right right Right, yeah, exactly. right. We made a real point of making we, that we had available. we had religious services this year, but if you notice, we had no prayers. Yep. And so, what what sort of change does that constitute? I'm not sure, but I found it interesting. I, quite honestly, I didn't even realize that that was the case. Yep. Interesting. So, yep. how about some others? Yep, Mr. Rick. Yeah, Ray Campbell, please, Ray. Hey, Ray. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for taking this on. I, like others who said, I, I think um, this is very interesting. There's so much I can say about this, but I want other people <laughs> to have a chance to speak. So, um, first of all, on the issue of no prayers at convention, that was something that uh, we decided as a convention program committee that we would. We would give people an opportunity to have their own reflection, whatever that might be, and and um, and handle it that way. And um, uh, that was just a decision that the convention program committee made, uh, even last year in 2021, uh, to do that. Um, so I want to kind of take this discussion a little bit um, as someone who many people know is fairly conservative on a lot of things, or at least more Republican on a lot of things, and to how I've had to balance that with 
frankly, the interests of people who are blind. Uh, first and foremost, I believe that blindness or disability issues should be bipartisan. I mean, disability, as Paul said earlier, largest minority group that anyone can join at any time. And by the way, they can join at any time. So that's, <laughs> I think, uh, something that uh, we think about. And on this 32nd anniversary of the ADA, remember it was a Republican president, George H.W. Bush, that signed the <laughs> ADA into law. So um, before I kind of get into that, um, I think there's also kind of another branch. Uh, you know, Anicio mentioned kind of the more left-leaning Democrats. I think you've seen in the last several years, mainly because of Donald Trump, uh, differences even in the Republican Party. You have right. more principled, what I would call principled Republicans, like like an Adam Kinzinger, um, uh, for example. I kind of regard him that way. And then the more ultra-right ultra um, folks uh, like Donald Trump who cling to this theory about the election being stolen and all that stuff. Now, we won't get into that. <laughs> um, but um, I kind of want to talk just a little bit about blindness issues and how I, as a conservative, have ha as someone who actually would probably be more regarded as a rhino by many, have had to uh, balance those. And as I said, first of all, I believe they're nonpartisan. Um, but one of the things I've learned uh, from ACB is, uh, through the ACB, through our leadership conferences and the like, is that is to sort of speak the language of, you know, which, you know, knowing your representatives that you're talking to and speak the language when you talk to them. So, um, you know, I, so as a more Republican leaning person, what I have always said to people is that the things that we're asking for um, access to durable medical equipment, better web accessibility, um, those are going to make us, self-sufficient and not as reliant perhaps on government programs. Uh, on the other hand, um, there are, are times that I've had to sort of take positions that may go against traditional conservatives um, views on, you know, what we ought to be doing. And the biggest example of that guys is uh, accessible vote by mail and wanting to have electronic return right. uh, because there are a lot of conservatives that are like, no, 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 we can't do that. That's that's security risk. That's, that's, you know, that's you know, the whole issue of voter fraud and everything like that. And, and my whole issue is actually in that view, in that issue, I'm actually probably a little more would be considered a bit more liberal because I'm, I'm kind of like, we need to get as many people voting as possible to have a voice in democracy. So um, it's very interesting, a life to lead. But um, I would just uh, say that one of the things that I really regret seeing looking at society over the last several years is the coarsening of our discussions that, right. you know, if you, if you disagree, you're wrong. It's not just that you have different ideas. You're wrong. I, I go back a few years and Brian, you'll appreciate this. I mean, some of the best political conversations that I ever had was with Bob Hache, um, very liberal person, <laughs> but man, we could have some great conversations and Charlie Hodge too, to, to, a, to, a, to a degree. We could have some great conversations. Yeah, we may not have agreed on policy, but we could talk to each other. Today, 
that's the thing that saddens me the most is people just can't or won't talk to each other and compromise so, is a dirty word. So before we get too far from from a point that you made a little while ago, I want to I want to go back to it and ask you a question, Ray. Sure. Do you think that ACB chooses its priorities because they are bipartisan? Um I I for the most part, yes, I would say. Now, one of the issues, here we come back to voting again, one of the issues ACB has always been opposed to is the issue of voter ID. And I, as a more a little more conservative person, have always had a problem with that because I believe that you have to show an ID for almost everything else. Why should you not have to show one in order to cast a ballot? Now, now that ID needs to be free. We can't have you having to pay for an ID in order to vote. That's poll tax. That's we can't have that. Right. Um, but 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 I think in general we've tried to stick with issues that could be represented in a bipartisan way. Yes. So has that. So I- has that meant, I'm sorry, and, and, and then I'll let you in, Brian, but has that meant <clears throat> that we've avoided taking positions that might be better for blind people in order to make them more saleable to politicians? I don't think, I, I just let me, as I think about that, I don't think so. I think in general, um, through all of my years in ACB, we've always tried to, We've tried to obviously look at what's going to be best for people who are blind or visually impaired. But again, I would go back to kind of, you know, talking through, you know, kind of speaking the language that will gain the support of whichever politicians you're talking to. Brian, did you want to add some? I want to ask this question. And again, this has to do with, uh, as broad an issue as, as I can imagine. I have come to believe over the years that one of the fundamental differences between those who think of themselves as conservative versus liberal is this idea of uh, regulations. That uh, conservatives want to uh, have a society that has as little regulation as is practicable, while liberals want to establish, if you will, minimum standards of behavior via law and regulation. You know, snap the red tape. How often have we heard that Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. time? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it, it applies to virtually everything in this relationship between government and the people uh, themselves. You know, you might be against, oh, I don't know, the Clean Air Act or something along those lines because it interferes with the companies that provide employment in your community. Uh, Or maybe you're a stockholder in that company and it will affect your bottom line and you're worried about your retirement. So there are reasons to feel both ways about that. But I can't quite honestly imagine a situation where the lives of blind people would be improved by less regulation rather than by more. Example, web accessibility. 
Yeah, yep, I was just going to say that. I was yep, going to so. say that, and I think, and I think that, and I tend to feel that we need to give the uh, in, a, in a situation like that, Brian. We need to give the private sector a chance to do the right thing, and if they won't, then there is a place for the government to come in and say, "Okay, this is how this is how it's going to be done." And this is what you need to follow. I think I, I actually think that more more of this work that I've done, I actually think that, you know, while maybe businesses might have opposed certain regulations in the beginning, they actually come to appreciate them because it gives them a standard. It gives them something to follow to say, OK, this is what we have to do. And in the case of web accessibility, it says, okay, here, here's the guidelines you got to follow. And, you know, the, 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 the ones on the airlines, the web websites for the airlines and which I, of which I, which helps me make my living. Um, I think that that is something that at least my company, I think has actually come to appreciate. Right. How many generations of people have to live without uh, some level of equality in our society until we determine that the uh, free style give, give companies a chance to do it right before we say, sorry, uh, you're taking too long, you're not getting it, you're being driven by not what's best for society, but what's best for stockholders mm -hmm. in that in that scenario, and that's part of what's always concerned me about. Um, you know, I'm a big, big believer in compromise. I, you know, to me, that's what's missing in our society right now. It sure is that it's either I'm right or you're, and if I'm right, then by definition, you must be wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. what what do we do though? How just imagine that you're a, a mother uh, who has a child entering public school. And the guess is that it's going to take 20 years before we get to a point where every child in the country has equal access to education. How do you feel about it taking 20 years to do that? Well, I sure, I sure don't feel very good about that, and I think yeah, and, and I think I there's think, a lot of that yeah. that goes on. Yeah, and I think it also I think it also depends a lot on the on the issue, and right. And I think also looking back on on things, so take the issue of durable medical equipment that we spend a lot of time right. on. There has been there have been equipment that has been made, but it's not as accurate as it could be, mm -hmm. and and that sort of thing, or you know so. This is we do need to get some legislation passed to deal with that situation, especially when you've had Apple that's been building accessibility into things for 10, 15 years. And so let's take let's take another example that 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 might help to elucidate another whole area. I think it's generally recognized that the the poorest segment of our population are people with disabilities. That is, they are poorer than any of them other of the minority groups that are out there. <clears throat> but um, there apparently is no traction at the moment 
um, to increasing the federal minimum wage from its position at $7.25, which is where it's been for the last decade. Um, would, would our members, would blind people as a group benefit from that happening? And on the other hand, is it likely to happen? You know, it's, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I, I think, how do you, so I'll come back with one. How do you balance that out with someone who is getting say social security disability, but Mm -hmm. you know, working and what if you increase the minimum wage to such a point that they lose that the SSDI, for example, Um, how does that jive? It it doesn't. And I thought you were going to say, how do you balance it with, um, with, uh, with a person who is running a business and who can afford to pay folks at this level, but, at a higher level, we'll simply have to go out of business. I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. we're already seeing it with a bunch of restaurants post COVID, yep. who simply can't hire people at the wages that they used to be able to hire them for, and so right. we're essentially going out of business rather than surviving post COVID. So, yep, you're right. It's it's it, uh, it, they're not easy issues, and uh, no, I think that they, you know we have to we have to I think look at the whole issue of um, i mean i look at things like rehab for example and you know mm-hmm. as a as a more business friendly you know more kind of republican which is stereotype is yep. that we're more friendly to business is <clears throat> i want a good rehab program because that's going to bring me workers and workers with uh, disabilities but then again I, I i'm in this space so i i recognize the value of hiring people with disabilities yep. you know, not everybody does so yep so Ray, we thank you so much for people. your call. Thanks you bet, for you bet, guys. I appreciate Thanks. being here. Oh, you bet. I enjoy it very much. I'm enjoying it a lot. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. And Mr. Rick. Alice Richard, please. Uh, another hey, Southerner. Alice. Hey, hey, Alice. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, indeed. Okay. I'll make it quick because I'm really not. I'm in the hospital. So. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry to hear that. Um, but um, I just wanted to say kind of to Nisio's point. It's true, the liberals try to come across when they're doing legislation for people with disabilities that they're on our side. But I think that it's sheep and wool skin, whatever, because they don't really seem truly, you know, to push for it. Um, So, and I'm not saying conservatives are any better, but. I just think I think that it depends on if it's something they really believe in, and I think that's the case for both parties on whether mm-hmm. they'll take it on. I mean, if it's of interest, because, mm-hmm. for example, back when they wanted to cut the budgeting to NLS a while back, yeah, it was a conservative from Georgia. It was my, in fact, it was my congressman who was a Republican who found a way to find the money to keep NLS budgeted. Why? Because his father was blind. It was what his father enjoyed. So it was a cause he was willing to work for. And I think that's the same case on the Democratic side as well. So, you know, it, it, it's a two-edged sword, I think. I think now, it is. as far as ACB, I would say <clears throat> there are times, because I, everybody knows I've 
lean on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. However, I will also say I'm willing to cross the line and work with the other side if they're willing to do that. But in ACB often, I have felt very much like I didn't belong because of my conservative beliefs. I mean, people have always, I have friends, you know, who are on the liberal side. And, mm-hmm. and like um, Ray said, I too have had conversations with Bob Hache that were very good. Um, mm-hmm. And even with some of my other liberal friends. But in the end, sometimes though, I still feel as a group that conservatives have been, and I feel it more so these days, like Ray said, it seems like the world's changing. And it seems so did like you feel ostracized, Alice, by Yes, by I do feel ACB? more so, yeah? especially the last couple of years, mm-hmm. more ostracized. That's exactly it. And huh. it's, it's, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. Miss Alice, get better as soon as you can, dear. Thank you. Thanks. Take Excellent. Care yep. Mr. Rick. You never know who you're going to get here when you get uh, the Byingtons. Yeah. <laughs> Michael and Ann, which is it going to be? It's Michael tonight. Hey, Michael. Uh, Mrs. I, I see Alice's name coming up on my screen again, and I want to say that following Alice in this discussion is a wonderful thing because Alice and I are Facebook friends, and I think that she would probably agree that she and I are two people who are at polar opposites on the political spectrum, but we thoroughly enjoy hashing these issues out on, on Facebook and so on. And it was really good to hear her voice. I hope that she gets better soon, as you just said, Paul. The thing that I wanted to bring to the discussion tonight was uh, some recollection from the mid-19, uh, mid-1990s. It was the first or second year that I was resolutions chair that I had conflicting resolutions to deal with, one of which was encouraging the uh, uh, development of a uh, B-flag affiliate, now Blind Pride, and one of which was introduced from uh, a rather conservative group of folks in uh, ACB, led by a gentleman named Mike Gino, uh, (laughs) who very much opposed any acknowledgement of a B-flag or blind pride group, any group dealing with uh, LGBTQ issues in ACB. And there was not, in my view, a lot of choices for me to make as resolutions chair. I simply followed the constitution of ACB that said all resolutions were to come to the floor and that the resolutions committee could make any number of recommendations. We recommended a due pass to the resolution supporting the development of a, an LGBTQ related uh, special interest affiliate. And uh, we did not support the resolution which uh, opposed any participation in such things. Uh, you so, recommended a do not pass for that, uh, Michael? I believe we did. I don't remember for sure whether we made yeah. no recommendation or recommend do not pass. But, I don't remember uh, either, but I'm thinking we might have made no recommendation. Uh, we may have. Uh, but in either case, uh, I felt very 
a, a very great degree of anguish yes. over the fact that there was someone who was bringing an issue to ACB who was feeling ostracized and not supported by the reactions of the committee. Now, the reactions of the committee were exactly what they should have been. And given uh, the wonderful special interest affiliate that Blind Pride has become, I absolutely, without any question, feel that the Resolutions Committee and its chair and the support that I gave took the right positions. Right. But um, I've always had a regret that Mr. Gino and his group could not see that democracy needs to rule on such issues and that ACB is not an organization where you always win. But the fact that it is democratic you, uh, over, overtakes any issue about winning or losing. And I know that I served on the board of directors with Brian and you, Paul, and I know that you will recall that I quite often seem to end up on the uh, short end of votes where there were controversies. <laughs> my, yes. my feeling of that throughout the years, as the, uh, uh, the son of charter members of ACB, right. is it has made me nothing but more and more supportive of ACB. Right. Uh, I think that that is exactly what makes ACB a wonderful situation. And I have always felt a good deal of regret that there are people uh, such as Mr. Gino, who felt so strongly on their issues that they seem to have apparently been alienated from ACB by the fact that they didn't prevail on their views. Yep. They were, I still think they were wrong. I still think that the resolutions committee and its chair was right. But I really regret the fact, because I have been on the short end of many issues, that that caused people to want to leave the fold. And I see that as a microcosm as to what is happening in national politics at right. this point, with particularly the Republican Party. And I say that uh, uh, in, in entire difference to my friends Ray Campbell and Alice Richard, who are two of my absolute favorite conservatives that I disagree with many times, but still love. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate it. Mr. Rick. Chris Bell. Good evening. Mr. So Chris, Bell. This is Before a great you say anything, let me thank you for your email. Oh, I appreciate the thoughtfulness behind it. I really do. You're welcome. Um, so equality is a very slippery concept. Um, you know, you have equality of, of opportunity, uh, you have equal treatment, and then you have issues of equal results. And in my experience with uh, we might call social service agencies, uh, liberal agencies, uh, sometimes uh, they are the most difficult to obtain accommodations. And I think it comes down to a concept, uh, sort of the historical concept of equal treatment, which means 
treating everybody exactly alike. Um, and, and you see that, of course, in, in the union context with seniority systems. Um, and it, it was the <clears throat> easiest way that, that business and management could talk about compliance with the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Look, just treat everybody alike, you know. And even if you treat people badly, as long as you treat all of them badly, <laughs> it's perfectly okay. Right. So, and then, then, you know, the Rehab Act and ADA comes along and says, well, yeah, you should treat everybody uh, alike, except when treating them differently is necessary to provide equal opportunity. And that meant that made uh, a lot of people in uh, in management in business and in unions very uncomfortable because that meant that you weren't going to treat everybody alike you you had a uh, a mandate to treat some people differently and other people would object to that and say well how come you know charlie gets the corner office and, and i get the cubicle you know um it, it wasn't a problem if you're talking about a ramp now do you, you know, think and, that was do you think that was disability related or civil rights act related well, but that's the point. It, it was, it, it was, the question was, what do you look at disability through the civil rights perspective, or do you use a different perspective? And, you know, um, it's, very difficult see. To, it's very difficult to write a law that says, I will permit you to discriminate on the basis of ability, but I will not permit you to discriminate on the basis of disability. And that's what the ADA did. Yes, and, to, you know. uh, to a degree, but I, but I guess I don't. Uh, you, you need to help me understand how how it proposed treating people with disabilities differently. Well, because it meant that um, there was going to be, be potential more bad feelings, more litigation, because. You know, the rationale for treating somebody differently um, was going to be put into play, whereas if you treated everybody alike, that was the, that was the easiest way to manage, right? So the other piece of it is that... You know, uh, I, I get affirmative action and civil rights. I get all of that. Yeah. I get the differently and, and so on perfectly clearly. I, 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 can, can you give me a, a material example of, of how this would apply to ADA? Because I don't get that. I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, I, I see, I get the treating differently clearly with the, the whole affirmative action issue with regard to the Civil Rights Act. But mm -hmm. I, I guess I always have perceived the Americans with Disabilities Act <clears throat> as an act that that really eschewed most of the most of the treat differently values that were enshrined in the Civil Rights Act and said, we're not going to make that mistake again. So we're essentially going going to write write a law that that says that everybody is going to get treated alike, including people with disabilities. Well, I, I think there's kind of a zero sum gain issue that that gets applied. Um, because, uh, you know, once you had, there was a lot of resistance to the ADA by, by civil rights groups. Sure. Um, and, uh, because it was felt it was dilutive of civil rights. Sure. 
Sure. Um, and um, even within the disability community, there's a lot of zero sum game thinking. And so the only sure. way we, we got an ADA was that somebody like Pat Wright said, I'm not throwing any disability group under the bus. You know, it's either going to apply, we're, we're either going to do it for everybody or we're not doing it for anybody. Yep. And so um, in, in, that's what I guess what I'm saying is equal treatment can have lots of different levels and okay. that they don't all shake out in the same way. Um, all right. And you can't really apply the conservative liberal rights versus non-rights in a, in a equality uh, concept very well. Okay. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, are, are, so are you in are, uh, last question? Are you implying that, that, Perhaps, perhaps uh, an an absolute goal of the American Council of the Blind is essentially equality. Then, well, no, because I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I started our conversation this evening by talking about definitions, and you had a, a good opening comment there about the defining equality. There's you apply the word equality to, I think you said three different levels, uh, equality, uh, of equality, opportunity, equal treatment, and, equal opportunity and equal results. So let's talk about the, I don't think we got to the equal results part. Did we? No, no, oh, that's what I'd love to hear. Okay. So, um, the only civil rights case I'm aware of that got into the issue of, equal opportunity in education um, by looking at results because it was, that was always something that the federal courts eschewed because the notion that um, you're going to have equal, equal results when you have a group of group of kids or a group of students. And it, it was discriminatory if, if people got different results. Well, you know, people have different abilities and backgrounds and all that stuff, but there was a court in uh, Detroit, that found that because African-American students in the, I don't know what it was, 11th grade, could only read at the, you know, whatever the lower grade level was that they found, that that was proof that there wasn't equal educational opportunity because we could look at the results and the results were so disparate as to mean that um, in order to justify the system, the results had to be much closer. And uh, that's the only education case I'm aware of that really looked at that from an equal results standpoint. I mean, even in a case like uh, uh, Rowley in the 80s, where the, uh, a, a hearing impaired uh, student uh, was getting C's and her parents contended that this was because lip reading was only able enabled her to capture one of the, out of every three words and that she was entitled to an interpreter. And the Supreme Court said, no, uh, she's not entitled to an interpreter because she was passing. She got a C. The fact that she could have gotten a higher grade with an interpreter um, is not something that the civil rights uh, acts or the IDEA required. So, you know, generally speaking, we've eschewed looking at results as a measure of equality. I, I, I guess that's right. 
Chris, thank you so much. I think you've You're added loads to our discussion. Thank you. I appreciate thank it very much. All right, Mr. Rick. Yeah, Mikey, please. Mikey. Mikey. Good evening. Yes, hey, sir. Good, hey. Good evening. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to admit that I missed the first couple of minutes of this, so I'm sorry if I repeat anything. And second of all, I want to thank you guys for taking this on. Um, I, I don't pretend that it's an easy conversation or an easy job for the organization to, to find the balance, right? Um, and I, I think as we have these types of discussions, um, regardless of whatever side you're on or whether you, you're firmly ensconced in the middle, um, it's important to, to acknowledge and, and let people know that you hear them, right? Um, so so one of the, so a few things that I've heard heard so far which have been very interesting and one of them is super important that i hope you know the powers that be are, were listening and i'm going to reiterate it is that as an individual and, and it was clearly said here uh individuals with who, who lean more conservative whether it be fiscally or uh socially conservative are, are starting to feel a strong undercurrent of not being welcomed um, it, and whether it is by the tone or the lexicon that is being used or the, the, the statements and actions and where the organization chooses to align themselves as a parent organization, right? We're talking about our, mm -hmm. our big parent. Um, while, while it is important to be socially aware, we do have to understand that, that strong stances on issues may, um, not, uh, you know, just just uh, not be, make a welcoming place for other individuals. Um, we have created a space where, where everyone should be heard except for the people you don't want to hear. Um, so I'm going to reiterate the, the young lady's uh, comment uh, of that undercurrent is starting to pick up and it is, it is starting to be felt uh, by individuals. Uh, one of the other interesting things that I'm hoping you guys will revisit at some point is somebody mentioned the need to find the balance between increasing the minimum wage and giving up one social security. Well, I, I don't think there should be a balance, right? I, I think that we should be encouraging stronger living wages and individuals earning a, a living wage across the board since uh, relying on, on, on an entitlement benefit, right? And we know that that entitlement benefit oftentimes comes in different forms. It's, uh, you know, there, there's two uh, payments that people rely on. And one of them is SSDI, which is disability income, which is you've, you've worked and paid into it. Um, and the other one is SSI. And often the two are, are convoluted, right? Um, we, we have a, a strong safety net for individuals receiving SSDI to go back to work, primarily with keeping their medical coverage by, by, via Medicare. Um, but, but that mindset is oftentimes what, what causes uh, fiscal conservatives like myself to bash their head against the wall, right? Um, and it, it makes us cringe as to, I'm going to do the bare minimum in order to keep the bare minimum on one side. Um, so, so that's a little, a little challenging. So and just to ahead. be clear, just to be clear, Mikey, you would, <clears throat> you would essentially argue that 
for somebody to earn just enough at a job um, to retain his or her social security disability uh, is is not an appropriate thing for blind folks to do. I, I believe that we that mentality would be intentionally setting the bar low. It is literally saying, I'm going to go out and find a job that's going to pay me just the minimum where I can stay under the radar and keep this other money um, as opposed to possibly working full time or taking a job that would pay me more um, and, and have some upward mobility. Did, cool. Does, Got does that gotcha. make sense? Yeah. It does. Yep. Um, the other thing really quickly is, and, and, and here I find, I, I have found what I believe. And of course, in my world, you know, <laughs> it's rainbows and unicorns and nobody likes either one of them. Um, <laughs> is when it comes I like to unicorns. equity uh, and end results, we do have a space to have a conversation that's really tactile. And it would would have to revolve around somebody had mentioned rehab and rehab services. And I, I you know, uh, n- no secret that I'm highly involved in rehab services. Um, I, I do believe there is a, there's a conversation that I would love um, for, for the powers that be to look at. And that's a conversation with RSA as reference to results and minorities um, as far as successful uh, competitive integrated employment and wh- where individuals look uh, end up right so so it, i think it is a snapshot of society but there is something to be had uh, to be said about outreach and inclusion um bringing folks into into vr and making sure that and this is where the divide would happen right that we're not over coddling individuals and letting them know hey you know and anything is possible yes anything is possible but the reality is that there's labor market information um there is job availability there's um a plethora of, of, of caveats to structure a conversation in which we can steer someone towards what would be successful integrated employment um, and having having better dialogue as far as what really is available, what is attainable. Um, you know, not every, you know, there are individual cases that one can pull out and say, Someone on the spectrum became an attorney. Yes, someone on the spectrum did become a successful attorney. Um, what? Let's talk about what that road looked like for them, and let's talk about the exceptionality of that individual. Just because an individual may fall on the spectrum at the same time doesn't mean that an attorney is an attainable position for them. Right. Um, yep. So there's nothing wrong with a little blue-collar work. There's nothing wrong with trade. Um, training. Um, I just uh, I wanted to let you know I was here, Paul. I'm listening. And nice. I uh, these are some of the things that I've heard that I hope uh, at some point you would revisit. And I'm you know if you have a question for me, as you you know, I'm happy to go into a little sparring with you and Mr. Charles. <laughs> hello, <laughs> hey there, Brian. Do you have a well, question I, for I, Mikey? Yeah. Um, the whole question of dis. Um, disincentive nature of um, safety net systems, the disincentives to, to seeking employment. Uh, I have struggled with that since, since the beginning of thinking about uh, the blindness system in, in general. And 
I've come to a conclusion. I'm curious how you feel about this conclusion. And that is, you know, no two people are the same. Uh, do I think less of a person who chooses to work uh, beneath their capability so that they can keep hours that would allow them to spend more time with their children or individuals who choose to not move for the sake of employment because they live in the same town that their parents lived in, that their parents lived in. Even though it's difficult for a person with disability to find employment in that community that generations of their family lived in. There's some judgment calls on this that are nowhere near black and white. And yet, and yet, as you heard Paul say, he didn't collect a, a government-provided benefit until he was 67. And you could hear in his voice, he took pride in that. And right. I took great pride in the day that I no longer accepted SSI. So it's that a bit of a double standard on my part because I'm, I perceive myself as one of the lucky ones who got a job. I worked hard and understand I, I did not work the beautiful jobs in my life. I spent time at a conveyor belt picking dead rat parts out of green beans before they went in the canneries. Nothing pretty about it. But that's how I paid my rent. So I, I, I don't have this feeling as if my life experience directly applies to virtually anybody I know who's a blind person. I believe in the value of work. I believe in the value of work for its own sake. That makes me conservative in that regard. But I also can point at hundreds, if not thousands of cases where there but for the sake of God go I, because they didn't have that quirky little opportunity that I had down the line. So how right. do you work that into a blindness system? Well, you said a mouthful, right? So the first thing you said is that not everybody is the same, right? So, so that that statement in and of itself g goes against the theory of equality, right? Because right. we know sure. we are all created equal, but we don't end up equal. Equal in so many different ways. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It is just it is what it is, right? Even just our mentality and our framework and the way we look at things. The other question that you know I would you would have to factor in in, in your in your internal debate that you have here, right? So I think we try. I, I can tell you personally, uh, it was it was not just a significant decision. You know, I I remember I accidented into blindness, right? So I was sighted and fully employed and living my life. And then I, I ended up on SSDI. And, and I remember even when it came time to give it up, just because work, you know, life had rebuilt itself in, in its new way. Even the folks at Social Security were like, you know, if you, are you sure, you know, you want to <laughs> do this? Right? 
uh, there, there, it, it, it was, it was, there was a lot of eyebrows raised. Uh, not a lot of people uh, come to the decision that it, you know I'd rather make more money at work and then just continue to pay back in. I know it's there if I need it. If I'm ever without a job, I can always go back to it. Um, but I guess the question is. Do do you feel that as a society and the dollars that should that are being doled out throughout all of us, right? Um, should those dollars be being doled out for personal choices? And those personal choices, as you said, were somebody who chooses not to work at their capacity or chooses to work less hours in order to have time with their family. Um, or someone who chooses, you know, n- not to understand and absorb labor market information or, or who has chosen to ex- understand it and make a clear and conscious decision not to go where the opportunities are. So, so do, do you feel that it's fair that those monies, um, be used to, to supplement a personal choice be- and then, realize that individuals outside of the disability community make those personal choices all the time, not to return to work or work reduced hours, but time, time with their family and they don't get the same money. Yeah. They, so I, they pay a much higher price for that decision. I get that. Right. So, you know, that's, that's where we're at. Like I said, it's, it's not easy, but I, I appreciate you guys jumping into this muddy sandbox and, and allowing people to express themselves uh, and making it welcoming. Because like, like the young lady before me said, uh, some of us are feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit discouraged from voicing our opinions and being included in this high inclusion society. <laughs> so I, I can just certainly, before, Mikey, see yeah. you having that feeling now i can tell you over the many many years i've been in acb that the inverse was felt oh sure by many of us oh yeah. where we were dramatically more liberal <laughs> there, there, than there, than uh, the status yeah. quo was within acb no question acb has always been you know it, it's strength was in the South in terms of numbers and in terms of leaders. And as a result, it had a a more conservative feel about it. But times were also more conservative then. And they certainly weren't as diverse as they are today or as polarized as they are today. A good example, Mikey and Brian, was... um, the struggle that ACB went through in in terms of coming to a decision uh, about um, refusing any longer to support subminimum wages in in uh, organizations that ran yes. workshops, um, you know, uh, th- there were an awful lot of people in in ACB at the time when those issues were being debated who felt like rocking the boat was a huge mistake because we were going to we were going to cause a bunch of blind people to be thrown out of work and we were going to and and we were going to cause a bunch of agencies who are only trying to help blind people to go out of business because we were asking them to meet standards um that 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 they just couldn't make because blind people just couldn't work that hard Correct. Well, you know, we sat on those tables together, Paul, in the state of we Florida, did. when as as it was being rolled out, and we knew Correct. that blind people were working harder than sighted people in some of these entities. And yeah, I told you that you know, <laughs> it was basically a, a you know, 
chat yeah. sweat camp, you know? So yep. <laughs> Mikey, thank, thank you, you so much thank for you. your call. Thank sir. you for calling in. Absolutely. Yep. Mr. Rick. Oh, Pete Oki. We got Terry Pacheco. Uh, Miss Terry. Good evening. Good evening. I'm trying to remember a few of the comments that I've wanted to make over the course of this conversation. I think it's wonderful that the two of you have taken this on. Um, one of the things I think we need to look at, you know, Brian said earlier um, something about uh, having a child and going going into school today, and do we need to wait 20 years to see something to be to for equal opportunities for education? And that's you left out a word there, Brian. And that is, do we need to wait another 20 years? Uh-huh. It, you know, I think that that's, that's, I think, a major part of some of the problems. Um, on, another, on another side note, on this conver- more recent conversation, uh, as far as the um, minimum wage and the problems with SSDI and people being under, uh, you know, staying under the limit and all of that, kind of thing it's also time related though we need to be looking i think we need to be looking at something that's a little bit more centrist and that's because our population that's growing that's coming up of age today is far fewer people in it whose only disability is blindness and oftentimes they're not in a position to go out and become an attorney. You know, they might be able to, you know, if the law changes to $15 an hour, they might can get that maybe. I know of a number of agencies. I know at least two in Massachusetts alone that what they've done is they've basically, rather than um, giving their workers what were quote unquote their workers um at least some money they've trained they've changed it over into a training agency and so now you can have somebody that's doing all kinds of work there but it's considered to be training and so they don't pay them anything at all nothing whatsoever even when they're doing things even when they're doing things like covering for employees on their coffee breaks, those kinds of things. But that same person is never going to become an attorney or never going to be in a position to get very far in upward mobility. And that kind of a person is going to need to continue to have Medicare or some kind of of an insurance, mass health, whatever, um, in the future. And we need to look at those those areas as well we've we have been very very liberal in a lot of ways in this organization um but we've also sometimes i wonder how much have we done how much damage have we done ourselves by being that way um look at the we we worked so hard on things like the cvaa that gave us 39 hours. So the and the whole thing on that was as we were told directly by people who 
wrote on, who worked on that so diligently, if they gave us any more than that, then it wouldn't have gone through Congress. So, so just, just, just to help people um, who, who don't perhaps know all of these acronyms, CVAA and 39 Hours, explain a little more, Terry. <laughs> um, that's the uh, 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Yes. Um, and the 39, uh, it was 39 hours a quarter of audio described television. Mm-hmm. that was permitted in that. Thank you. Uh, but I'm just using that as an example. Um, the ADA, we it, it kind of is a part of, not really a part of the ADA, but in the mindset at that time, we gave up the exemption. We lost right. our, our additional exemption. And, and, and yet, and, and yet I, I, I think one of the things you're contrasting that with is the the significantly larger quantity of captioning that there is for folks who are deaf? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. As far as that's concerned, as far as us losing the exempt the tax exemption, um, we to this we to this day do not have the dura- durable equipment for uh, to get uh, CCTVs and glasses right. and. And that kind of thing that uh, we're that are pay- we're paying for out of our pockets today, that we even though other disability groups have have the inclusion of fairly expensive durable medical equipment that they can they, get, they do, and we've but we've lost some of our income to losing the exemption. It was like yep. thirty nine hundred dollars today for that exemption that we don't get, and so I think we have been very liberal in an awful lot of ways. Um, I know people who often thought that uh, our whole currency lawsuit was a waste of time because they've never had a problem with their currency, um, that kind of thing. You know, right. the, I think we have been liberal, but I think we need to be more cent- a little bit more centrist than we have been in the past. And that's why I'm kind of glad to see people like Ray um, being... Uh, you know, looking at both sides of an issue. And that's something that we all need to do is look at both sides of issues. And as Alice said, feeling um, ostracized and that um, I think we've got a lot of people that are feeling ostracized and at this point in time. And as long as we, I'd, I'd almost like to see us give up the terms liberal and conservative because they've developed in the global community, they've developed such a negative connotation to either group. Well, they certainly um, have in this country, but I mean, I, you yeah. know, in, in Europe, and, we have liberal parties and conservative parties who, are, who are named that and, and, and who, who probably, probably aren't being tarred and feathered as we speak. <laughs> no, that's true. And I probably shouldn't have used the term global community. Maybe mm-hmm. in, a nas- in our national community yeah. might be a, a better term for it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I know people today who will just say, oh, he's a Republican. Oh, she's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and, and they will interchange the terms and liberal it's, and, and it, conservative. But, but, and but that's not doing any of us any good. What, what they mean is, is, they are being dismissive of those people's values, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, why I say exactly. it's exactly. doing no one any good. It's dismissing 
you know, somebody might feel something, um, 5% of something. And the, so their whole night, the other 95 is forgotten about, um, that kind of thing. And <clears throat> one other very quick thing I was absolutely fascinated yep. by, um, Brian, in the very way back in the beginning of all of this, you were talking about the uh, MRIs and them yes. determining by different right. parts of the brain that lit up. I wonder yep. if I wonder if that doesn't almost tie in with advocacy in a way. Um, if it isn't something that's that one has experienced more um, or one is more involved with, if that doesn't cause part of the brain. It caused a change in the brain um, more so than maybe a little bit, at least as much as environment. Mr. Brian? Uh, yeah, and, and again, the part that I saw of it indicated that the same part of the brain that was slightly larger in those who identified themselves as conservative was also the part of the brain that lit up the most brightly in an MRI scenario. What we don't know because of these studies was not how they were 20 years ago. Same person, right? You have this moment in time. This is how it looks. And we there's this term associated with, with your brain called uh, plasticity, the ability for it to right. remap itself. Mm -hmm. I've been in an MRI machine and they uh, ran... Uh, textures across my fingertips and my visual cortex lit up because I don't use it for that. Right. I use it and my brain has reallocated it. So the same thing is probably to a large extent true. Probably. I don't know. The science is still out there, right? Um, when it comes to this kind of stuff, your parents were conservative, you're conservative. How much of that was in your biology? How much of that was in your upbringing and how much of that was in your life experience associated with it what concerns me the most is how people struggle struggle to stay the way they are not to change not to change uh, when yeah. i was young terry i uh, wanted to be in fact in my rehab you know how you have to say what you want to be when you grow up in rehab and sign that piece of paper? Mm -hmm. uh, mine was to be the governor of the state of Oregon. And they actually <laughs> signed off on that. Crazy people. But early in my, you know, I, when I was 18 years old, I joined the Republican Party. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was on the Republican Party Central Committee for my community. Right. A year later, I quit because all the Republicans talked about when I was there was how good the Republican Party was because they made room for people like me. <laughs> then I joined the Democratic Party and I ran for the Central Committee and I was elected. And boy, did those Democrats love to say how good their party was because they allowed people like me. Mm -hmm. uh, I then so, went to a party. So, so the correct oh. answer is our yeah. government should be taken over by people with disabilities and everything. It'd be cool. Yeah, these people like <laughs> it might be. It might be. So I don't identify, you know, 
right and wrong by R's and D's. Right. Uh, But I do think, I really do think we need to enable people with whatever opportunities we have as individuals and as leaders to encourage the thoughtful expression of opinion. Do I think everybody's opinion is equal? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That guy who's decided that all blind people uh, need, need to have financial support by the government is wrong. He can have that opinion if he wants, but it doesn't mean that it's of equal value as somebody who knows what the story is. Uh, and that, that applies to any and all topics. It all does. opinions need to be respected that they have a right to that opinion, but you do not have an obligation to um, consider it to be of equal value to another opinion. During the ACB discussion of resolutions and that kind of stuff here, not that long ago, is it? Just three or four weeks ago. Uh, Deb Cook-Lewis changed my opinion, totally changed my opinion, not by saying, I believe X, but because she said, have you ever thought about thinking about this issue differently? When ACB was created, there were only state affiliates. ACB now has more members through its special interest affiliates than it does through its state affiliates. Is that so really true? We, that is huh. true. Wow. Which ones are growing? Ask the membership committee. Oh, I, I, state I, affiliates I know. are shrinking. Yeah. Yep, yep. Special interest I, affiliates are growing. I get that. So, so in this Actually, world, the membership at large is growing, and that's yeah. That, well, that is true, but <laughs> but percentage-wise, if it doubles, it's still small. Yep. Well, it within our organization, there's some, you know, you know what they say about statistics, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But here we're talking about. I did about more than a few. Li- I did more than a few statistics courses in college. You know what I mean. So yes, I when do. we look at these these kinds of things about, and that's what I really wanted tonight to focus on, is our strength is our weakness. Diversity of opinion. Isn't it so nice when everybody agrees with everybody else? Uh, they call that vanilla. You know, there's there's no exchange of ideas when everybody agrees. That's and communism, we have a t- is it not? Well, yeah, as if there was ever a communist state in the world. Um, right. But also, do we believe uh, for a moment that, um, again, this idea that I believe X, and when you check me out in 40 years, I'm still going to believe in X. Yeah. Uh, and why would that be the case? Why is that an acceptable approach toward life so listen to one another it might he may have just convinced me of something new mm-hmm. i hope so and in this day and age people read people hear only things they agree with you don't mm-hmm. have to read the newspaper yeah. because mm-hmm. you're not exposed to it you only read the stuff even all these logarithms and all these places that you look at 
they start showing you things they said you liked seeing last time. Yep. And pretty soon you have no room left in your day to hear anybody's opinion but your own. And Ms. Terry, thank you it so is, much, I, dear. I have one more quick thing to say, and that is the one thing that I think we're all missing that is missing the point that would help so much both within ACB and within our country is the keyword respect. Yeah, with I think that, we. With that, I, I we, wish you both good night. Thank you very much, Miss Terry, Mister Rick. R e f p e c t isn't that a song? Yeah. Yes, it is a good one. Uh, I'm sorry, couldn't resist. Peter, I don't know how we would have yin yang that though, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Aldo, please. Yeah, hi. Can hey, you Peter. Yeah, hey, hi. Peter. Hi. So I, I, I want to take this from a slightly different angle. Uh, happy birthday, ADA. And again, thank you, Paul and, and Brian, for, for doing this. I believe that if the ADA were up for discussion today for passage, it would not pass. Think I believe that to be true also. I, I think about that. So what does that mean for our advocacy efforts? How does that mean that we should uh, you know, think the way, about the way we advocate? Uh, as an organization, um, you know, one of the things that really strikes me is there are there are lots of folks with conservative uh, opinions, conservative Christians, conservatives of all varieties within the organization, and yet all of the when I when I see legislative uh, priorities come up and who assigned them in Congress, they're all Democrats. I don't think I've heard uh, seen a Republican sign any of our uh, priorities in I don't know thirty years. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but I don't think so. Yeah, you are. You are. I don't think so. But that's okay. Go ahead. I mean, but whatever. I mean, I mean that's your perception. So I mean, certainly, it's, certainly it's the, perfectly certainly, valid. Certainly, in the past ten years, um, you know, I mean, I'm talking about federal. I'm not talking about state. So right. what what this, what this means for me is we have a bunch of talent within the organization that we are not u- using effectively. How can we how can we tailor our uh, what we think is important? Um, uh, and reach out to more folks with conservative leanings. How can we reach out to conservative Christians with our message? You know, they're, 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 they're the most, they may be the most powerful block in, in the, in the country these days. How are we reaching out to them? We should be able to reach out to them somehow. What are we doing to reach out to that population? One of the, uh, so let's start with that. The other, the other thing I want to say, uh, and Paul, I appreciate you giving me some latitude on this because I'm sure you can sure. give me examples of where I'm wrong. And, and that's fine. One of the things that, that I find interesting is that we as an organized group want, want the government generally to do more, uh, to, you know, to, to regulate. Um, and that, that's, that's fine. But one of the things I find fascinating, uh, is at least in the conversations when the conventions were live and we'd be hanging out at the bar or hanging out, you know, yammering about whatever. The voc rehab system, which is a government agency, was almost universally trashed unless there, unless you were a, a an employee of of the voc rehab system, you know, and they they would be uh, uh, folks like us would criticize them for whatever for whatever reason. And some of the criticisms were justified. You know, I'm not here to 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 defend voc rehab totally, but I wonder there seems to be a distance. How can we support government uh, action? When we uh, have problems with the government action that we are, uh, you know, that, that we have we have experienced, there seems to be some kind of tension, at least in my weird brain, when it comes to this kind of stuff. How do we address that issue? 
And the final issue I want to say, uh, I want to address has to do with uh, uh, what's going on uh, during COVID. Um, uh, it, it, those, those community calls are fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. It's one of the best things that ACB has done since I've been involved, actually. It, you know, it really is, is, has done a lot. But one of the things that has potential of doing is separating us. So, for example, the Blind Pride crowd does lots of interesting programming, um, some, you know, some of which I find really fascinating. And the conservative Christian crowd does its own programming, um, quite separate and apart from the Blind Pride crowd. But what that does potentially is separate those two groups out from each other. They do separate things. What would happen? And I don't know how, how this is possible, but I think what it would be really interesting to see if they could find a way. And I'm dreaming a little bit to do some joint programming. How could they work together to create some, some interesting content? Uh, find that common ground, if you will. You know, I spent most of my life, uh, as, as some of you know, creating common ground in, in a variety of settings. Right. How, right. how, how we, I think we, if we could find creative ways of doing that, uh, that might be an interesting way to, to start at least this conversation. Cause there is a lot of talent that is being underutilized in this organization. Many of whom are on the board of directors, some of whom are, who are, who are officers who I know are not, who don't agree with me on politics. Um, and yet I have the sense that they're, they're being underutilized. I mean, uh, just ask the question again. How can we reach out to people, um, a little more effectively? Um, and let me, let me give one example. There was a conversation that went on, um, about, uh, photo IDs. Okay. ACB, as, as I heard somebody say, tends to oppose that concept. Okay. That's fine. Um, but let me share an example of, of what happened recently. I was part of a meeting and one of the, a representative of the Secretary of State of Missouri went on this rampage talking about how, uh, they require photo IDs, but, um, anybody who wants help getting photo IDs can get help from the state if they dial this phone number. Well, that's fine, except that the phone number is not on their website. I know this because I needed to get a photo ID for something. It's not on their website. It's practically impossible to find. And, you know, uh, and so it seems to me this is the kind of thing that we should be working on. How can we make these um, photo IDs easier to get if if they're supposed to be free? And that that was the point that she was making, the Secretary of State uh, reference. Then we should be figuring out how can we make this more available to our to our membership, working with the government so they don't they don't hide this information on page one hundred and twenty two thousand of their regulation book, put it somewhere where, where people can actually see it. So it, it you know I I think there are ways of addressing this. Um, I've said a lot, so I'm, I'm open to people who want to react to what I've said. Uh-huh. Peter, thank, thank you. Thank you for calling, Peter. Really we appreciate it. it. Thank yep. you, Mr. Rick. Yes. Uh, let's see here. I got to get, I lost track. Jean Mann, please. Jean Mann. Hey, Paul and Brian. Hey, Jean. Hey there, Jean. So um, I'm like Terry. I have to have to remember all the comments I wanted to make. First of all, when, when Mikey was talking about the SSI and SSDI, when I first started working back in 1974, I made 170, I brought home $174 every other week which seemed like a lot of money then, but my rent was 140. And by the time I paid for my utilities, I had spent over half my, my rent or my, my monthly salary. And if I didn't have that extra $150 from SSI, I'm not sure what I would have done. I was in an apartment by myself. Um, if I was cited, I could have probably gone out and found another part-time job. 
So that's one of the things we need to consider too, that it's not as easy for us to go out and, you know, find another job, part-time job, or, you know, even full-time if we have to, as it is a sighted person. So um, I can understand where a lot of people, you know, really don't want to let go of that, of that extra money if they can help it. Yep. Uh, the other thing I, I was thinking about, um, oh, there was three things and one of them I can't remember. But anyway, um, I'm a registered independent. I always have been. My parents were Republicans. I didn't want them to have to decide one way or the other. So I went independent. But I think as, as good as the community calls are, and they are, um, when, well, it's not just the community calls, it's the, the leadership list and probably conversation list. I'm not on that one. So people can be a lot more vocal about their opinions on things. And so I think other people, like if, 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 if somebody's like really liberal, um, some of the conservatives get, get tired of hearing all the liberal stuff. And I had one friend who's like ultra conservative say to me, you know, I don't mind that people believe in this, that I won't say what it was, but do they need to shove it down our throats all the time? Because I think some, um, some people are are so into what they're doing that maybe they are a little bit too, I don't know what the word is, but maybe they're, they push their agenda a little too much, maybe. So, so Jean, I'm trying to, trying to get clear. So are, are you saying that we should actually moderate those guys' opinions off our lists? Well, I don't, I don't know that we can really do that. I think people just need to be careful um, on both sides, how they, how they come across. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really difficult situation when I don't want to yep. read something. I just delete it. Yeah. So Jane, I, I insert this, this idea. There's only so much one can do by setting up a rule. Right. We have right. rules for our lists and our right. rules say you can do this and you can't do that. And right. if you do this in spite of us telling you not to, then we will do that. So there's some rules that have to, by their nature, be pretty broad. Um, and then we put a moderator on there. But the moderator is not parsing out and reads your message and decides whether it's good or bad and passes it on only if they think it's good. It all and goes to the list. And, and they're not there we, 24 hours a day either. And they're not there 24 hours a day. And flaming can happen from time to time and all that yes. kind of fun stuff. Yes. The real trick, don't you think, is to try to teach people to <clears throat> behave civilly. You know, it's mm -hmm. okay for you to say, I just got back from whatever and had this experience. And if... Uh, government only did whatever I wouldn't have experienced that. Or mm -hmm. if people weren't such god awful, terrible uh, things, then I wouldn't have had this problem. You know, mm -hmm. there's that part that happens electronically that probably would not have been said face to face. There's the anonymity kind of feel about the keyboard that lets you allow yourself to do things you wouldn't do, to say yes. things you wouldn't say and to say them frequently when you read email right i see where people have answered five emails in a row bam 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 they didn't read the thread yeah of that yep. conversation they're reading them backwards and responding to them 
And it just totally warps the conversation yep. when yep. that happens. So we need to find a way to help our members who are participating to be better at that environment. I, I do not have an answer to how to do it, but I don't think it's rules. But I, I, I just, I, I do find that sometimes when something is said that somebody else doesn't like that, somehow we have to find a way to, to as somebody said, be more respectful about how we maybe acknowledge that we didn't yep. like, yeah, yep. on both sides. I, yep. Miss Jean, thank you a lot for well, your call. One, one, one other quick thing, one, if I can. One, yep. Um, Brian, when you mentioned that the affiliates, the the special interest affiliates are getting larger and that the states are getting smaller, which is apparent is, is true. I have the credentials report here. I'm wondering, though, how many of the people in the special interest affiliates are also in state um, affiliates? I've never seen a analysis of that back back when President Paul Lair and First VP Brian were involved. I did a survey of all our affiliates. I sent out a request for them to provide the national office with their current constitution, their list of officers, their 501c3, and a number of other things, and started gathering up data to, to do a little number crunching to see where we really were. Because we, we kind of, we as an organization have kind of, uh, you, you want to talk numbers, but you want to be kind of quiet about the numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, you 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 felt it over the years in your your different roles, have you not? Oh yes, yes. So yes, yes. under those circumstances, it was impossible. Half of our affiliates refused, didn't fail to do it. Refused to send in their constitutions. Yep. All we yep. wanted to do was have them on file. Yeah. We weren't trying to control them. None nope. of that. None of that thought- at all. But but there was that defensiveness involved, and mm-hmm. when it came to the numbers. One of the one of the things we heard um, from my dear lost friend James Olson was that whenever there was a record vote, the outcome of the vote had we taken only the standing vote or only the roll call vote would have been the same. Mm. I saw no no report that supported that. So. I, I heard this year that uh, overall special interest affiliates are growing and overall state affiliates are shrinking. Well, that's, that is that, true. That is true. And ought it not to concern us? Uh, ought it not to affect, you know, where we yep. go from here? Uh, I think so. And maybe at some point, Paul, we can turn Tuesday topics into What's what's the value of a membership organization? Is the word membership? Remember, Steve Spiker used to say it's not a matter of quantity; it's a matter of quality of membership. Right. Remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. I do. Miss Jean, thank you again. so much. Anyway, thank you, Jean. <laughs> Sorry, right, I got you, off track. Good night. That's all right. I yep. think we've got time for one more, guys. David Trot. Mister Trot. Yeah, I'm kind of leery about calling in with the two of you back together. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're I, the numbers guy, and I was just, I was just impugning numbers. <laughs> um, first of all, let me say that personally, I'm more independent than Democrat or Republican. But uh, you know, ACB tends to be 
a little more liberal because that's the way our advocacy leans. I know coming from a Republican state, a lot of times when we go to speak with our representatives and our senators, we get, oh, we love you. We're glad to have you. And yes, this sounds great. And that's the end of it. Um, back when we've had a few, and it is rare, uh, Democrats <laughs> tend to, to do a little more on the things that, that we're looking to have things done with. Uh, getting back to Terry's comment, though, respect. Uh, she hit the nail on the head. You know, it's not just ACB, but the world has lost respect. And, and we're seeing it more and more now on our listservs, a lack of respect. And I'm, I'm hoping that will come back. I, I'm like, Brian, I don't think you can police it. I, I just don't think you can do that. Uh, and to one of Mikey's comments, and this will be my last one, uh, about disincentive. Um, he's hit the nail on the head, but th this is the problem that we run into. Uh, when you take, let's say, workshop or employees, for example, they were brought up to believe this was a benefit of working, that this is something that they would get. Unfortunately, when you provide, uh, and I know from my own experience in management, when you provide opportunities, the first question out of their mouths is, am I going to lose my check? And this is something that we've got to, we, we've got to find a way to educate newer people coming in, you know, that this is not, a benefit in the sense that this is your life benefit. This is a way for you to get yourself on your feet and begin to move forward. And when an opportunity comes, you can pay back into the system and get more later on. Uh, I know I had several jobs that people would have basically tripled or quadrupled their hourly rate, but they wouldn't take it because they'd lose their check. And this is something that we need to take very seriously. Uh, we have a certain program of individuals who, regardless what they make, pretty much draw Social Security disability. Yep. Uh, I, you know, I benefited from it. Is mm -hmm. it right? Absolutely not. Uh, but if I was here telling you that my first employment that I did for 30 years and I retired from, that I didn't get it, I'd be a liar. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I took advantage of it. It was there. And, you know, uh, there were times that it came in handy later on in life. It really wasn't necessary, but there wasn't really a way to pull out of it without causing a bunch of other people grief. And so this is something that we're really going to have to look at. But Mr. Mind, David, yes, thank you. Thank you a lot. We're running out of time. All right, Paul, we'll talk to you <laughs> thank later you, on. Paul. Thank you, David. Brian, you have 30 seconds to sum up. Please, please take away from tonight one message. We need to be more civil with one another. We need to maybe talk a little less and listen a little more and keep an open mind as to other opinions than our own. And I guess, I guess the, the thought that I'd like to leave with people is there are a whole range of things um, that, that there are clearly disagreements about within ACB. One of the things that I think we need to do is to put each of those items on a table, discuss them in detail, and eventually come to the place 
where we're comfortable with what we're doing. We'll be back with Tuesday Topics next week. We look forward to having all of you here. And I think we're going to discuss some blindness issues next week. But in the meantime, remember, it's only through discourse and opinion that we're different from wood. Good night.